Hello and welcome to episode four of Top Landing Gear, where we're featuring the top national aerobatic team in the world, well, we think so anyway, the Red Arrows. We'll be joined by former synchro pair leader, squadron leader Dave Thomas, who talks about his time with the Reds. He's got some incredible stories about what it takes to become a member of this elite squadron and explains just how they fly some of those jaw-dropping stunts and what happens when things go wrong. We'll hear from Dave a little later in the show, and of course his full interview will be available on our Full Flaps episode a week after this programme has dropped. As always, a huge thank you to everyone who's been listening to us and leaving reviews, most of them highly complimentary, not least to Elena from North Harrow Community Library, who has put us in her top three favourite comedy podcasts. <laughs> Not that we don't want to be taken seriously, but we are tickled pink with that lady. So thank you very much. We're in great company, by the way. Uh, number one is Off Menu with Ed Gamble and James Acaster, two of my absolute favourite comedians. Almost And as The Guilty Feminine with Deborah Francis White. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're close. Yeah, they, they edge it. They edge it. But isn't that lovely? So, so thank you very much indeed for that. This is Top Landing Gear. Now then, I'm sure you're already looking forward to the highlight of this and every podcast, the quiz. So let's get all the other <laughs> stuff out of the way first, starting with the top landing gear team. Uh, I'm Rob Curling, fronting the pod and flying the flag for the nation of my birth, Malaya. Frontman and singer-songwriter with chart-topping indie bands, scouting for girls, Roy Stride. Frontline pilot and backseat driver, James Cartner. And front row forward and back of the class, agricultural fencer... <laughs> Jez Curling. Hello, everybody. You've been busy, right? Oh, yeah, you've you've busy got too much time on your hands. <laughs> has, the, uh, has the TV stuff been quiet recently, has it, uh, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> you, you could say that, Jim. You could say that. Have you flown much, James, recently? Nope. Could say that. Mm. You could say that. No, nope, nope. I haven't. Roy, much singing or composing? <laughs> Not, lots of singing, lots of composing, lots of recording, no gigs. I oh, am okay. missing being outside i'm missing mm. uh i had a real pang for festivals and yeah. uh, like air shows especially after we did that after we recorded the the air show podcast which i really enjoyed and yeah. i thought people people have had a great reaction to i spent the rest of that evening watching air show clips <laughs> on youtube yes which is not quite the same and I, I tell you what i did watch was that air ability air show the armchair, the armchair air wasn't show. it brilliant absolutely fantastic and it's it's so long uh that there's still stuff which i'm going to go back to and watch so if, yeah. if you haven't done if you haven't done so check out the air ability armchair air show yeah yeah it was fantastic. It's awesome. fascinating how's the world of farming there jazz uh well it's been busy yeah it's been busy uh i haven't had a chance to watch the air ability thing yet and i want to so i will uh i've been outside a lot i am quite sunburned and um, I've also been watching quite a lot of YouTube clips uh, of Operation Black Buck, which we've got to cover at a pod in the future, because I've just finished listening 
to uh, one of my favourite books ever, Vulcan 607 by Roland White, mm. uh, which I must have read three times. I've now just listened to it as an audio book, uh, and I absolutely love it. So I, I'm almost obsessed with it. I'm almost as obsessed with that as I am with the D-Day landings, possibly more so now. <laughs> so I've been watching YouTube videos on the Vulcan, reliving some of the Vulcan stuff from yeah, air shows and listening to the how and thoroughly enjoying that. So that's been my week. Sunburn, Vulcan. Well, there was a, a really good Vulcan sequence in the armchair air show and the legendary Martin Withers uh, is on there as well, Jess. Yes. So yeah, you must catch up with that, definitely. We've got to get him on. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Right, Jimbo, did you want to say oh, something? Yeah, no, it's it's gone now. The, the time has passed. It was so a sorry. real spur of the moment thing, but it, it was really, really funny as well, actually. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I seriously doubt that. Yeah. Uh, but James, this is your this is your big moment. Uh, we're going to kick off with our hugely unpopular regular feature. <laughs> Ask James. <laughs> Your chance and ours to ask James why he thinks barely anyone can be bothered to send him a question. James, your thoughts on that? I, I think the problem is it, it's, it becomes embarrassing. I, I don't like to be known as a know-it-all, but when you know everything like I do, it, it just gets a bit <laughs> tedious. And I think people are probably, you know, they've listened to me now yes. for a few episodes. They pretty much know everything yeah. there is to know. So uh, it's probably just dried up because of that. In all seriousness, we do need more questions for James. So if you are out there, if you've got a question on anything aviation related, we have we have actually got a couple in, yeah, which we are have. really good. But if uh, if you've got anything you want to ask James about commercial flying, about his experience flying the Puma, the Hawk, the Harrier, bring him in, bring him in. But yeah, James, I think for once we've actually got a couple of questions which aren't from your own family. Oh, that's good. We, 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 we've pretended in the past that they're from people you've never heard of. But we have got a chap called Stuart Mann. Uh-huh. I don't know if you know Stuart Mann. I don't know. And uh, he's a b- big fan of the podcast. And I think it, this is in relation to our previous uh, podcast about air shows. He asked, what is the difference between a victory roll and a barrel roll? Ah, well, a um, a victory roll is, is technically another name for an aileron roll, but done basically when you come back and beaten the Hun or whatever you've been up to. Um, so you come back normally over the airfield and carry out an aileron roll. And an aileron roll is, is as simple as it sounds. You, you you hold the aircraft level, maybe just bring the nose a little bit above the horizon and then roll it around its longitudinal axis through 360 degrees in a, in a sing, simple roll. A barrel roll mm-hmm. is actually quite a complex manoeuvre and it's a loop and a roll almost mixed together. So if you could imagine you're going to fly around a long cylinder that's slightly oblique to you and below you. You dive down and then pull up and do a, a loop around this barrel while rolling left or right as you do it. So a barrel roll is a mixture of a loop and a roll together. And a victory roll, which is an aileron roll, is just a, a very simple spin around the uh, the, the longitudinal I, I thought Because I, I thought a victory roll, they did do a sort of a bit of a loop. No, a victory roll is just is purely that, a roll. Oh, right. Okay. I can tell you, actually, I don't know if I've mentioned this, lads, but I've actually, uh, I've actually done a barrel roll and a victory oh, roll don't tell in me. a Spitfire. Have mm. I? Mm. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have ever done Yes, that I, have. Yeah, yeah. I, I have. I have. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but you got yeah. paid for it. It doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jim, thank you very much. Um, now... On to commercial subjects, and Eileen Strong, who sent us through some questions in our very early days. Can you explain all the main noises that you hear coming from a plane, where they come from, and what they're doing? Now, she uses the word plane. 
which of course is banned, obviously an airplane or an aircraft, but in the, and, and an airliner. <laughs> there are an awful lot, and there's one James in particular. I've been meaning to ask you this for years. Whereas it sounds like someone's under the floor with a hacksaw. Yeah, that's the old sawing um, away. It yes, yes, it's typical. Yes. The sawing noise is going on. Often known as the barking dog noise as well. People think there's a dog <laughs> down there. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I, when I first heard, it, I thought someone is sawing the wigs off. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> were you captain at the time? Uh, or no, first no, no, honestly, I, I've never flown an Airbus uh, in anger. Uh, so oh, in an uh, and it's, and it's definitely an Airbus noise, and it's a thing called the mm. power transfer unit, which is a posh name for a, a, a basically a standby hydraulic pump. So if the if one of the hydraulics pumps fails, then the other hydraulic system can then power many of the services on that side's. Um, hydraulic system, and so when they're, they're shutting down the aircraft, you normally hear it as you're as you're shutting down as you come onto stand. Um, one hydraulic system shuts down first, and then in order to keep that hydraulic system going, the, the aircraft doesn't know the difference between a shutdown or a, uh, a failure. So it, it activates the hydraulic pump, and it's good for it because it exercises mm. the pump. And then you so you hear this <laughs> sort of noise. <laughs> that's my yeah, that's best, <laughs> best impression of it. <laughs> That's not me wheezing <laughs> after a short run, and um, <laughs> and, 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 and that is the, that, that hydraulic pump working. So it's perfectly normal uh, to hear it on the ground. Uh, if it, if you sort of hear it in flight, it's, it's it's harder to hear when when it actually goes for real uh, because of the other noises. Uh, but it just means that one of the pumps might have failed, and and the other the other system is is taking care of it. Uh, the other the other noises, obviously, the engines are fairly big noises, uh, and we have had complaints that the mm. engines were too loud. And I think one of our cabin, <laughs> one of my cabin crew did say, well, "When it goes quiet, um, you'll probably be a little bit more worried than the, the, about that than the actual noise." So, <laughs> uh, but we do uh, we do use reverse thrust on landings uh, in many uh, airports, and they uh, and that does make a bit of a noise on landing. And then the other things you get dings, chimes, and everything. Normally, cues from one part of the cabin on a particularly big aircraft, say from the front of the cabin to the back or from the flight deck to the cabin crew, just with information, either a particular um, stage of flight. For example, with my airline, when we do three dings, it means we're just about to take off. So it's the last mm. cue to the uh, to the cabin crew that uh, to make sure you are sitting down if you're not already and hold, hold on because we're about to oh, take I like off. that secret knowledge. Secret knowledge. Don't tell oh, anyone. That's brilliant. That's good, Jim. Good, Jim. I've got a, an equivalent thing from my, uh, my past work is uh, when I used to work for Iceland supermarkets, if you heard five bells, that means we had a home delivery and somebody needed to go and help. <laughs> that is almost <laughs> interesting. Have you not had to sign some sort of official secrets act? To, to, to... <laughs> Good, Jim. Well, thank you. That, w- that was mildly interesting, actually. That's, that, that's one for the archives. I yeah, think. no, I, I enjoyed that. That was great. Shall we move on to our new featured topic for this week, then the Red Arrows? The Excellent. mighty red arrows. Mighty. Yeah, let's do that. And Jez, here he is with his reds. Quick facts. Thank you, lads. Here we go. The red arrows were formed in 1965, an amalgamation of the RAF's existing display teams, the black arrows, uh, the red pelicans, and the yellow jacks. And it was the yellow jacks which provided the aircraft for the new team. And that was, of course, the Folland Nat. The Nat first flew in 1955 and served with the red arrows until the end of 1979 season flying 1,292 displays. Yep. The 1980 season saw the introduction of the Hawker Sidley T-1 Hawk, of which over 900 were built. The aircraft has served at the Reds for well over uh, 40 years, and there are now plans to retain it as the Red Arrows display aircraft until 2030. 
The Reds' first display for the media was on the 6th of May 1965 at Little Risington in Oxfordshire. Their first official UK display was at the Biggin Hill Airfare. Initially, the Reds were made up of just seven aircraft moving to the now familiar Nine Hawks in 1968, where the Diamond Nine formation became their famous trademark. To date, the Reds have completed nearly 5,000 displays around the world. They are the most well-known and, we think, the best aerobatic display <laughs> team in the world. Their motto, Eclat, means excellence. We should have that as our motto. <laughs> the Reds have flown with many notable British aircraft in some of their displays, including the BBMF Lancaster, Concorde, and, of course, my favourite, the Avro Vulcan B-2 Bomber. The nine-ship display team is made up of pilots from frontline RAF squadrons. Each pilot can display with the team for a maximum of three years before returning to RAF duties. The team leader will have flown with the Reds previously. Reds pilots must meet some stringent criteria before they can be accepted as applicants. They must have a minimum of 1,500 hours of flying, compete at a frontline tour, and be assessed as above average. Hmm. That's not weight, James. That is... <laughs> The Reds' first and to date only female display member was former Tornado GR4 pilot Kirsty Murphy, who flew with the team between 2010 and 2012. The Reds' famous red, white and blue smoke is produced by mixing coloured dye with diesel and injecting this into the hot exhaust from the aircraft's engine. This special mixture is stored in a pod under the centre of each aircraft. Each aircraft carries enough mixture to provide seven minutes of smoke. A large support team keeps the Reds flying. The engineering and technical support is provided by the Blues, uh, known as such because of their blue overalls, and these include trades such as avionics and technical personnel, weapons technicians, logistics and photographers. In addition, the Circus are 10 travelling technicians who fly with the team and one is allocated to each pilot. They fly in the passenger seat to and from each display airfield. And these, of course, are the engineering jobs in the RAF everybody wants to do. And there are your not-so-quick 10 or so Redero facts. Well done, Jez. Well done, matey. Very good. Well, thanks, guys. Nine, nine, quite nine would have been more fitting. Nine facts. <laughs> nine. <laughs> yes. I haven't actually counted if it's 10 or not. Yeah, Red, well, yes. Very good. Well, we do have Red 10. I always wonder about this, James, because the Red's quite often in the height of summer, will do several air shows at different parts of the country in a single yeah. day. So how does yeah. Red 10 go to each air show and catch up with them to commentate? I know there is a helicopter, is, but is. as you know, helicopters are very quick. No, he was, um, when I was instructing up at Shawbury, one of our jobs, which was a weekend job, so not many people did it, uh, was to uh, fly Red 10 around. So they'd often ask for one of the training oh. helicopters. And he would... Take his normally take his jet with the nine others if they were landing at a, at a big airbase. Say they were doing a small display, for example, Silverstone. So the, the team would fly to Bryce Norton. Red 10 would get out of his jet into a waiting helicopter, which had come from Shawbury at this stage. They would then fly him into Silverstone uh, to commentate on the display. Um, and then uh, after the, the day's celebrations and motor racing, he then goes back with the team and, and they all fly off to the, the next... Uh, a call. So there, were, there is a, a, a helicopter allocated. Hmm. I've always meant to ask, uh, always wanted to know, should I say, is Red 10 a display pilot or has he been a display pilot? No, not necessarily at all. He's, um, it's, a, it's a job, it's a sort of fast jet job. So if, you, if you've been on a, on a fast jet squadron, it's one of the jobs you could apply for. You need 
some Hawk experience, mm-hmm. but you're not a display pilot. You're just very much the team manager, as they call it, um, and, and doing a lot of the organising and going around with the team, specifically doing the commentary. So a friend of mine was uh, Red 10 for a while, Andy Robbins. He was off Tornadoes and just got a, a allocated tour as Red 10. It also means that they can have a spare jet, doesn't it? Does, it? Ha- yeah. Hanging around, as it yeah. were, and and they use him a lot. They use Red Ten as the as the chase plane with yeah. the photographers on yeah, board, don't they? Photogra- Especially on the tours and things that they've recently done. And also, if they're uh, flying with another formation, they'll use Red Ten as what's called the whip. So he'll be flying above and around the formation, just making sure that from every aspect, everything looks completely uh, symmetrical normally when the reds are flying on their own they, they do it so often they don't need a whip but if they're flying with other um with, with other aircraft they know they'll often have a whip just to make sure everything looks as, as good as it possibly can james i meant another question I, i've been meaning to ask is presumably there is a finite supply of t1 hawks even though the t2 is still being produced yeah. isn't it? so if through natural <laughs> wastage for want of a better word <laughs> The, the, the T one Hawks are. are they, where are they sourcing these aircraft from? Are they are they getting from from other squadrons and who are just depleting stock. We had um, so the T one stopped uh, being the flying trainer about four or five years ago uh, when the T two took maybe actually slightly before that. So the T two took over and we had a stock of hundreds of T ones. Mm. We sold quite a few, but there are probably at least nine or ten, if not more, in storage that should we have any uh, loss or should they want to rotate them through the team? Because it's quite demanding on the aircraft as well as the pilots. Um, it's constantly you know, pulling G and uh, and being flown to, to fairly tight tolerances that they do ro- try and rotate the aircraft uh, as much as they can as well. So there is a, there's a stock of them um, that we, we just didn't sell those ones. And are these these hawks, James? Are they capable of uh, of undertaking a wartime role? I appreciate they are trainers, yeah. but they could be. Could they redded? Yeah, well, there were two types of talk of hawk: the T Mark One and the T Mark One A, which I think nearly all of them, towards the end of the when it was being used as a trainer, were used as T One As, where they had the ability to have a gun pod fitted under the the belly and also uh, sidewinder missiles fitted on the wings, um, and so for the uh, uh, the tactical side of the training, um, tactical weapons side, you used to fit dummy sidewinders on the uh, on the wings, um, to, in order to to get the the homing of, of, of tracking another aircraft, and also under the uh, center pod or on the wings, you could have um, practice bomblet um, CBLS um, pods, so you could draw you could drop small practice bombs, which fly exactly the same as a real bomb, and just let off a, a little bang rather than a two thousand pounds of, uh, of fun and games. And um, just going back to the smoke question as well, a couple of questions on that. I know that a few years ago, to try and be as green as possible, a lot of display uh, pilots fitted up their aircraft to not spray diesel into the hot exhaust, but to use something that was likened to something like baby oil, which apparently was far more green. (laughs) Now, I don't know quite what that substance is, but it would appear that the Red Arrow's continue to use yeah, diesel. Yeah, uh, as far as I know, they're still using diesel because they haven't found anything yet that's good enough to replace it. Um, mm. Again, that that may be changing. That might have changed already. But to my um, 
uh, acknowledge that they're still using diesel because they just can't find something as good enough. Yeah. I remember being behind the yeah. Reds, they took off, and they, they always used to take off with smoke on whatever station they were, they were um, visiting, which is, oh, which is yeah, quite fun. Um, but you're sitting there yeah. next to takeoff, and you're you're in cloud basically for about four or five minutes. But the <laughs> I, I don't know if at school you ever had a um, a big biro that you were chewed so much it exploded and you ended up with biro all over your face. <laughs> But there's, there's that smell of the ink, which is almost exactly the same as the yes. smell of the ink that they use to to put to make the smoke different colours. And you can often see they're choking on this yeah. <laughs> this uh, this smell of ink, uh, which is just biro smell, which yeah. is they've left behind. So uh, it's always always good to see them. And it does when they're travelling as a um, as a big unit, uh, having smoke on does massively increase their visibility. So if you're in another aircraft looking out mm. for them, they're obviously not as manoeuvrable as, as nine of them. So they, they often use the smoke, and particularly in their displays, in order to find each other. They use the smoke to, to make yes. sure, that, for example, that the, the synchro pair can, can find each other. They use a lot more white, don't they, than the coloured smoke, which I always think in this country, which is predominantly cloudy, yeah. is a bit of a shame because it doesn't show up so much. But there's, there's a very good reason for that, yeah, isn't Yeah, I think there? they've got about two minutes uh, of each colour uh, per filling. So the dye team will, will will fill the tanks as full as they can, but that, that only gives you about two or three minutes. Uh, and then you have, I think, I'm trying to remember what Dave said, it was about seven to ten minutes of, of white smoke. So they're just purely limited on, yeah, on the which amount. Which is just of, diesel. That's just pure that's just diesel, diesel, isn't it, the yeah. white smoke? Um, I remember when I first saw the Red Arrows back in 1965, their first performance ever in the country at Biggin Hill International Airfare, when they were flying fallen gnats. And part of the thrill then and for many years after was the height at which they displayed not least of all the synchro pair crossing at possibly 50 feet above the runway mm. and they were above the runway they weren't on a <laughs> display line the other side of the runway <laughs> everything was so close they did i think <laughs> the, the nap was unusual in that it could do an undercarriage roll so the undercarriage was extended and they even did that as a synchro pair in their opposition pass <laughs> i mean that nat was a formidable display. Actually. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, um, I think in a, in a later podcast we're going to be chatting to uh, an ex nat pilot who then went on to the Hunter, um, and he was t- talking to me about the um, the nat, and the joke was it was called a nat because it did bite. It was certainly uh, fairly <laughs> fairly lively, uh, but it, he said it was a fantastic aircraft to, to fly. It, it could, you know. It was so manoeuvrable and and yet quite a stable stable platform um, when, when treated properly. Well, look, I wonder if, if we should hear then from our special guest this week. Um, it turns out that James actually made a friend when he was in the RAF. He was called Dave, Dave Thomas. Um, they weren't friends for very long, though, as they were soon went their separate ways. Dave into fast jets and a season with the Red Arrows. James didn't. Um, <laughs> suffice to say... To become one of the Reds, you need to be an exceptionally skilled pilot. So let's hear from Dave about how it all went so right for him. And then we can ask James how you make that waka waka noise that helicopters do. It's really interesting, Dave, to hear how much those different events mean to you for what the events stand for and, and the crowds and, and who you're displaying to. Because, as you said to us earlier, your mind is so much on the job and positioning with the leader. It, it, in a, it's really interesting to hear that the event itself affects you emotionally. Yeah, huge shows. You know, um, we displayed it, displayed at Kemble many times. And 
you know, it's a small air show. Um, I'm not sure if it's still going, you know, but that that was the base of the Red Arrows back in the day. And mm. um, there, there at the show would be some of the original team, if not the founding members. Yeah. And you you'd feel you'd feel you know their their soul, if you like, because you're there <laughs> representing not only your, your nation but you're also representing them and what they stood for back. You know, it's hard in those days. You know, so you, you'd get you get to meet them afterwards, and they wouldn't give much away. They they would <laughs> they would they would give us you know they would say, oh, in our day it was much lower. Keeping <laughs> was, was much much better, you know. Just, they they would always like put, put you know, but there would be a glint in their eye. And um, I, I also flew with um, a guy called Brian Hos Hoskins. Uh, he was the leader of the team when the the era of the uh, the formation changed from um, Nats to Hawks. So he he took Nats mm. one to one place, the British Aerospace, and he brought brought a uh, Hawk back, and then they. Flew in the flew in the hawk from I think 1979, but um, every year at Scampton there would be a leaders conference where ex leaders would be invited up and they would see the team and they would talk about the progress of the team and the boss would showcase you know a day in the res and they would fly with us and I, I, I flew with again I knew of, I knew of, uh, Brian's legacy from watching documentaries and in awe of this guy you know in awe of this guy and um, he was in my backseat one day and. We came out of this the split for the second half. I was seven, and I, I was just talking him around the show. And I says, "Oh, we're we're going to go down the line now for the the double rolls, Brian." He says, "Oh yes, we invented those." <laughs> More pressure. I said, "You you have control, mate. You know you fly as you want to." So there we are, Dave Thomas. Remember, you'll be able to hear so much more from him in our full Flaps episode, which will go out a week after this particular episode drops. And um, it's well worth a listen. He told us so much. James, I mean, you know the guy really well. I think a lot of what he told us surprised Absolutely. you, I mean, actually, didn't the, the bit about... Um, uh, when he, I asked him if he, if he missed being in the Red Arrows. And the impression I got was that it was <laughs> such hard work. Uh, for three years of constant work on that, he, he was almost, you know, glad to leave it behind. I think amazed that he'd done it, but but glad to have left it behind. So that that, that was quite a, a shock for me. And he's so typically modest. I a few years ago, actually, I was really lucky because I spent quite a lot of time with both the Reds and the Patrouille de France. We went to the. I was doing quite a lot of air shows for telly at the time anyway, so I got to know them quite well, and then went off to do a an on-site TV show for the Dubai Aerospace Exhibition. So we spent a whole week out there, I think, um, and spent so much time with all the Red Arrows guys and the Patrie de France in the evenings, in the bars. And it, they just, it was just great to see how they all interacted. And they were just absolutely mm. charming. I mean, they were really, really great fun to be around. So, yeah, terrific. They're, they're Brilliant lads, brilliant pilots, brilliant people. Right then, chaps, here is, this is what everyone's been waiting for. We can just lose the rest of the show. It's the quiz. Here we go then. Let's test the buzzers this week. Let's start this time with you, Jess. What have you got? I've gone back to first principles. <laughs> right. Okay, Jess. We've got that. Yeah, well done. Thank, thank you, you. Uh, so James. What have you brought with you this time? I've got. I've gone. I thought I'd go topical. Ah. 
James, is it smoke on go? Is that what you're trying to do? Yeah, was. Oh, no, I get it. No, I get what it is. It's... Oh, you've just realised, have you? It's red one. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. I like that. I like that. Uh, Roy, I Good. hope you've done slightly better than the other two. What have you got? <laughs> I've gone, I've gone, I've been inspired by Jez's film ones before, yes. so I've gone film and music. Here we go. Oh. Danger Zone. Kenny Loggins, Top Gun. There you go. Very good. Yeah. Well done. So let's go on with the quiz. Question one. The Red Arrows Hawks are what colour? It's a multiple choice question. Yes, yes, Roy. <laughs> Red. Mm, shame you didn't wait for the choices, isn't it? Oh, I mean, dear. You're, you're not totally wrong. Oh, no one wants oh. to hear the choices. Okay, Jez, yes, go on, Ed. Go on. No, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. That was fat thumb. Well, I'm going to say white with red blocks. Why? Why? White? Is this going to be like some sort of like speciality tank, like elephant's breath? I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the. I'm waiting for the options. Yes, quite right, Jim. Okay, so this is now only open to James. Are they A. Signal red, B. Poppy red, or C. Post office red? Yes, James. Smoke, smoke, uh, They are poppy red. <laughs> Incorrect. You could have had either of the other two. Um, poppy red. red. <laughs> poppy red I made up. Signal oh, red no. is the colour that the Hawks are. And the Nats oh. used to be post office red. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, post office oh, red yeah. for a fast check. I, I think that. that's lovely. So the answer that. is signal red. No correct answers. And really, Roy and Jed should really be doctor point each for buzzing in before oh, the <laughs> end of the question. But we will hold it at naught naught and one, two, I didn't mean to buzz. I didn't mean to buzz. Well, you're a twit. <laughs> question number two. What do you mean once? You got it wrong. What? Yeah, I did. I did get it. Oh, wrong. yeah, James got it wrong. Sorry, sorry. No, I'm, I'm to No, I'm sorry. But he's, he's issued the point now. He's issued the point. Unfortunately, it's too late. It's too late to take it back. <laughs> sorry, Just it's zeros you... across the board. Zeros across the board. Question number two. On a tour in 2016, the Reds performed a display over Epsom College, but they weren't restricted by the constraints of the London Control Zone and were able to give a full display. How come? What year? 2016. Yes, Jez. Could it have been during... Could it have been during the volcanic eruption in Iceland? Mm -hmm. Yeah, carry on. And therefore there was no normal air traffic flying in that of uh, London airspace. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Uh, well, there was no normal air traffic flying in that London airspace. There was no air travel, travel traffic, mm, airplanes mm, flying. No, no, none of what you've said is right in the least bit. Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the volcano was 2008. Yeah, exactly. Oh, was it that long ago? Um, Jim, are you going to jump in with a little gem here? I'm going to go for there was a... Uh, tr- uh, the, the London um, Heathrow was closed because of a fault somewhere. Mm-hmm. The clue is in the question, chaps. On a tour in 2016. Ah. Yes. Yes. 2016. 
Epsom College, Epsom is, College. is in Lankwai, Malaya. They, they have an international <laughs> school just south of Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> that um, must have taken you all like a week. The moment to find we decided to do a podcast, he's probably just made last it up. Summer, I've been looking for a Red Arrows Malaysia fact, and that's it. Oh, it's absolutely true. And it was their part of their Middle East and Asia Pacific tour in October 2016. I think a point to me. Wow. Oh, question number yeah, three. Okay, we'll keep you there. The Reds have always flown jet trainers, the Hawk, and before that, the Nat. What was the last RAF aerobatic team to fly frontline fighters, and what were those fighters? Yes, James. They were lightnings in the the black something knights. Uh, oh, you and your black knights. <laughs> uh, yeah. The Baron knights. Uh, but the black knights were fifty four squadron hunters. James, you're, you're right. Wow. They did exist, but no, that's the wrong answer. So James is out on this round. Anybody else? You could just go with a, a type of fighter jet if you like for a for a half a point. I might be generous and give you a full point because you're all struggling. I think half uh, a point's going to win okay, it then. this week. Let's go for. Old, old Harriers. Yes, that's it. You've got a buzz, and um, it, it's so that, unlikely that the Harrier Hunter. would be displaying before 1965, considering the Harrier didn't go into service until 1969. Just that's a pathetic Hunter? answer. Hawker Hunter. Uh, it's not the Hawker Hunter either. <laughs> no, it's okay. not the Hawker Hunter. Chaps, this is this right. is poor. It was the Firebirds <laughs> of 56 Squadron who flew nine red and silver lightnings. That was back in 1963. Imagine I did that. say lightning. I'm sorry. If you're going to give a half a point or something for the right type, <laughs> I said lightnings. I may have did said you? Did you? Did anyone night. else hear him? He did say lightnings. Did he? All right, Jim. I'm going to, because we desperately need a point. <laughs> otherwise, this is just, otherwise, this is a farcical quiz. Well, right. it is every week. Why change the habit of a lifetime? <laughs> <laughs> okay, 56 Squadron uh, Lightnings. Uh, brilliant. Um, uh, slightly long question to this, but bear with us. Uh, in May mm. 1980, I was at mm. Biggin Hill uh, when the Reds performed there for the first time in their brand new Hawks. During the afternoon, nine of them took off to do a display elsewhere, but only eight returned. As a result of this, the Reds were never again allowed to display below 100 feet. What had happened in between departing and returning to Biggin Hill that afternoon, May the 17th, 1980? Well, I mean... Red buzzer would be good. Yes, Jez. Yep, yep. Yes, Jez. Well, I, I can only assume that it may have collected part of a tree at some point, uh, and a low approach somewhere. It's a lovely answer, <clears throat> and when is you find correct? out the answer, you will find out how slightly close and yet how miles off you were. Good try, Jez. Good try. Anyone else want to go for this? Uh, no. no one else knows. This is what happened. The Reds had gone to display over the seafront at Brighton. During one of the most critical manoeuvres of the display, just as the two synchros were performing an opposition pass, one of the synchro pairs struck the mast of a yacht that had strayed into a restricted area. It lost its starboard aileron, became uncontrollable, and crashed into the sea. Thankfully, um, Steve Johnson, who I've flown with, by the way, um, did eject, and he was fine. But uh, at the time, the Reds were cleared to fly as low as 35 feet over the sea. This hit happened at about 40, apparently. But wow. after that, um, they, were, they had to um, stay above 100 feet, and I think it's even higher than that now. 
Do you not remember that incident? When was it? I wasn't born when the Battle of Britain happened, no. but I remember it. Okay. Final question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On not the 18th that. of June this right. year, the Red Arrows joined up with the Petit de France to conduct flypasts over Paris and London. What event were they marking? Oh, smoke on go. Oh, oh. <laughs> Well, <laughs> now, what do I do here? The smoke on go was not the official buzzer that was presented no. at the start of the quiz. It was just you shouting that's smoke just, on that's go. That's the same as shouting out. That's just shouting yeah, out. Yeah, I think it is. Because his Sorry, Jim. I, I we did, a, no, yeah. James, no. We did warn you about your buzzer. I'm just thinking again, James. We warned you about your buzzer <laughs> being feeble. Jez, let's hear you. This is chaos. I think it was to celebrate... Entente cordiale between yeah. Britain and France over, over many years. Slightly more specific. I'm, I know. Smoke on go. I'm this saying it. I'm, I'm hundred years of entente cordiale. Right. The question was. I'm playing it. Let me answer yeah, so, it. All right, Jim. Yeah. Smoke on. Come on. Smoke on go. Uh, it was the anniversary of de Gaulle's uh, radio broadcast well telling the well French done. to yes. um, to fight. Not give up. Yes, exactly. To resist the German invasion. And out of this was born the French resistance. Gents, that was a week ago. We've ended what's uh, been a very hardly fought quiz. Very tough quiz. <laughs> uh, well done, everybody. Final scores on the doors. Roy won. Jez two. James just pipping it with three. Oh, well done, Jim. Well, well done. Great, great well done. quiz again. I, I have no idea how he got great, through. Yeah. Great quiz. Well done, Rob. Well well done. Done. Can you just try and up yeah, your game yeah. in future, chaps, please? You know, some good guesses <laughs> at be. least would be something. Well, dear listener, if you're still with us, well done. That's a mammoth effort on your part. But Why thank you very much for listening. Remember, now? I mean, really, rem- I don't know, but <laughs> hope somebody is. I think. Remember that you can still hear all our earlier podcasts if you really want to on Concord, the Spitfire, and Amy Johnson, as well as their respective full flaps interviews with Adventure Pilot Amanda J. Harrison, Spitfire Pilot Jim Schofield, and Concord Captain John Hutchinson, and the Great British Air Show podcast with George Smokey Bacon, who put together that brilliant Airability Armchair Air Show, which you can still watch on YouTube. And congratulations, by the way, to everyone who was involved in that. And remember, there are loads of places you can go online to check out the latest air show and virtual air show news such as britishairshows.com flightline uk militaryairshows.co.uk the british air display association website and many more now coming up in future episodes of top landing gear we'll be hearing from the man who shot tower bridge in his hawker hunter we'll have a little known winner of the 1969 daily mail air race and with the wonderful boeing 747 jumbo jet being hastily forced into retirement we're looking at putting together our own tribute to the Queen of the Skies. And do let us know anything or anyone you'd like us to feature, and we'll try and make it happen. Remember, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Top Landing Gear. And you can also contact us on email with your questions for James. Please, please do get in touch with us. Uh, info at Top Landing Gear. That's info at Top Landing Gear, two Gs. And however you're listening to us, please do leave a review, especially if you've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening and bye for now. This is Top Landing Gear.